I was in Maxi, uh, the grocery store on St. John's just this week, and uh, as I'm waiting in line, there's someone in the in the in the uh, kind of checkout, personal checkout, you know, like your own checkout kind of aisle, and it's this older man, and he's wearing headphones. And he's, he's doing his checkout, and he's, com- he's just so focused. And you can tell, like, other people are obviously doing their thing, and they're looking around, and maybe they hear a noise, and they're around. This guy has his headphones on. He's doing his groceries. He's, he's paying his bills, and he could care less about anybody else around him. And I thought it was super funny because here he is. He just doesn't want to be interrupted by anybody else. I, I love the idea of headphones for that. When you stick your headphones on, your earphones or your headphones, there's something so intentional about what you're doing. Now, some people do it because they don't want to care about you and they don't want to see anything else around them. Some people are doing it because they really want to listen to whatever's on their iPod or phone or sound system or whatever they might be listening to. And I know that whatever this guy was listening to, he definitely had his focus there because nothing else around him affected him. And for good or bad, the idea of headphones is super clear. I am going to listen. I am going to pay attention to this. This month we've been talking about what it means to live an attentive life. A life of someone who listens, a life of someone who pays attention to what's around them, who pays attention to the people around them, who pays attention to what God is doing around them. And last week I gave you some homework. Have, any, has, have you guys been doing this homework? Anybody been trying this? Nobody's, people are afraid to even, okay, so nobody's putting up their hand. This is a problem here. Um, so, so we've been asking some people to, to be silent for five minutes a day. Uh, just to completely tune out from things around you and to invite God to still your heart and your mind as you, you engage these five minutes of silence. Some who have been doing this have talked to me and how helpful it's been, how beneficial it's been, how difficult it's been at times. And last week we said, we asked you, and I asked you specifically out of the story from Luke 10 uh, and Mary and Martha, that when Mary sat down and listened to Jesus... We ended our gathering last week. I was sitting down on the floor. This posture, this physical, tangible, intentional act to say, I will listen intently. And so this week, uh, I often will will try and read my Bible in the morning. And this week, it was early morning. And because the weather's nice, I was sitting on my deck. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to sit on my deck floor. I'm going to sit on the wood. I'm going to open my Bible. I should do what I've asked people to do. So here I am just sitting on my deck floor. No one really can see me at this point. And and I sat there reading the scriptures. That Sometimes I actually tried to elevate them a little bit above me to have this posture that I want to listen. I want to learn. I want to surrender. And it was an amazing experience because it, it just forced me to, to, be, to think in that moment, do I really want to hear what the scripture's saying? Do I really want to listen to what's coming off these pages? We said last week, and I'll throw it on the screen, unless we become intentional listeners, we will never become natural listeners. Unless we become intentional li- listeners, we will not become natural listeners. And I left you with this question last week. Is Jesus worth listening to? Many people believe in him, serve, say, I I love Jesus, I I follow, but are we listening to Jesus? And so today I want to talk about the pursuit of listening. We've talked about the power of listening three weeks ago, two weeks ago. We talked about the posture of listening last week. And today I want to talk about the pursuit of listening. And I want to head to this this, uh, figure in the Bible, and we're going to look at him in a moment, 
named Elijah. Elijah is this prophet in the Old Testament, and if you don't know about him, he's a pretty interesting prophet. He's been involved in some pretty dynamic uh, moments of Israel's history, and he particularly was a prophet during the life of Israel when they, com- when they were making a detour from listening to God. In fact, he served as a prophet during a time when the false prophets outnumbered the godly prophets. When the nation kind of went haywire and literally was just what the, what the scriptures often says, doing evil in the eyes of God, not listening to God, doing whatever they want, and then following false prophets. And, I, and Elijah jumps in at this moment. And there's a scene in, in 1 Kings chapter 8 where he invites all the false prophets to this mountain and they set up this ritual um, and, and he calls down, he asks God to come and consume this sacrifice and this miraculous thing happens. The sacrifice is consumed, the false prophets are freaked out and the false prophets are actually wiped out in that moment. But Jezebel, the king's wife, is so furious And she wants Elijah dead. So it's no small token of affection from Jezebel to Elijah. I want to read in 1 Kings 19. And before we do, I just want to pray and ask God to speak to us as we read. Father, we we pause our hearts right now. And uh, in some ways, we got a timeline today. We want to finish our gathering on time to jump into some news for our church but Lord, we, we just right now in this moment slow our hearts and our minds down. Help me even in this moment, God, just to, just to quiet my heart and listen to you and be attentive to what you want to do and say in this moment. It's all about how you want to intersect our hearts and our lives right now, God. So we, we just say welcome to your voice towards us today, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to do something a little different. We're going to, we're going to walk through this story in, in uh, 1 Kings 19, little, little by little. We're not going to read it in one shot. And I'll just start off. This is kind of where we, where we pick up the story where this, this, um, this lady, Jezebel, is furious at Elijah. So we're going to read it off the screen, verses 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Well, we just talked about that. He This big moment on the mountain, false prophets are destroyed. Everything he had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. This is Jezebel's message. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So here's this death death threat on Elijah from Jezebel. And then the story continues in uh, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. I mean, Elijah's distraught. He feels he's afraid, he's alone, he's anxious, he's freaking out for his life. And I think in some ways, verse 3 kind of tells us he's running for his life because Jezebel wants to kill him, and I think he's running from his life. He's like, I'm fed up of, 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 of just not feeling like things are going the way they're supposed to go. And he, in a sense, he's not just running for his life, he's running from his life. And we see that take place, and he's like in a crossroads. But God does not want to let him go. 
God um, jumps in through an angel in this moment. Verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over the hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and then he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Here's Elijah running for his life, running from his life. And God's like, hey, I, you're not done yet. And I'm not done with you yet. I want, you, I want to do something with you and in you in this moment. And we, hear, we see what Elijah does next in verse 8. So he got up and ate and drank. He strengthened, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went to, into, into a cave and spent the night. So this pursuit starts in Elijah. He's distraught. He's feeling discouraged. God shakes him up, but he gets up and he starts moving towards this destination. And I love this little description here. We don't know. No, go back up, please. Um, we don't know if, it's, um, if he really traveled 40 days or 40 nights. Often the scriptures use that metaphorically. But he heads over to this place called Horeb. And I love the title, The Mountain of God. Wouldn't that be cool to say, like, I'm going to, like, God's specific place. Horeb was a place where God met Moses. And Elijah, in his mind now, in his heart, he's thinking, okay, if God's going to do something, if God's going to change something, if I'm going to hear from God, if I'm going to really listen to God, I'm going to go to the place where God spoke to other people before me. So he travels to Horeb. He travels to this mountain, God's mountain. And it seems as though this pursuit begins in Elijah, even though he's discouraged, even though he feels like he wants to run away from his life and for his life. He's like, I'm going to pursue this moment where I can listen to God. And I think in a sense, God's pursuing him. He's saying, get up, eat, be strengthened, go. And he rushes off. Verse 9 is pretty... Kind of humorous, you know. Verse 9, Elijah, God ends up saying, I love this. So he got up and ate. No, go to the next one, sorry. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, if I was like, if it was me, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Why am I, why am I here? I mean, I'm at your mountain. I'm at the place where you spoke to Moses. I'm, I'm here because I want to hear you. I've pursued this. Like, what else am I doing here? And it almost seems like God's trying to clarify with Elijah. What do you really want, Elijah? Why are you really here? I love what, how Elijah responds in verse 10 uh, as we continue. He says, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I mean, I think Elijah's like, really? You're asking me why I'm here? My life is a mess. I could be killed in any moment, and things just really, really suck. Haven't you been up to date with what's going on? And Elijah replies to God in that way, and he's discouraged. And he's thinking, is it really worth, like, is, is everything I've been doing really worth it? Have I been effective at all? Is anything, um, does anything I do matter? I mean, Israel's not listening. There's people against us. I feel like I'm the only one. My job really sucks. Israel's off the wire. Nobody's listening, and people want me dead. 
I mean, I don't know how you would feel. That would kinda, you'd feel pretty irrelevant and pretty down at that point. Have you ever felt like what you're doing isn't making an impact? Have you felt like what you're doing, all the effort, all the struggle, even all the goodness, isn't really making an impact? This week, uh, someone actually in our church sent me an artic- two articles, and they really highlighted the irrelevancy of my role as a pastor. And so what, one, of the article, one of the articles was, uh, both of them were from Global News, and one of them said this, that half of Canadian respondents say they believe religion does more harm than good in the world. 51% of Canadians agree to that statement, that religion does more harm than good in the world. 62 Quebecers believe that statement. So six out of ten people that we will meet will tell us religion does more harm than good, or that's what they think. And I'm thinking, I'm in the wrong job. Like, we're all followers of Jesus, and we all have this role to let people see the goodness and amazing, um, you know, good news of Jesus and and to show them what that is. But in some ways, man, it feels like, man, this, this this is also my job. I'm like, man, nobody wants what I have. Imagine I was you know, in some other kind of work, and it's like, I'm a landscaper, and everybody has concrete on my street. And it's like, this is just bad for me. Then, then uh, this person sent me another article on, on how um, Canadians appreciate other careers. And uh, so there's like percentages of, of, um, of how we appreciate certain careers. And minister was at about 59%, really down the list. And what was really startling to me was that journalists were on top of ministers, Car mechanics were on top of ministers. Dentists were on top of ministers. I'm like, who likes to go? Who, who appreciates their dentist? I don't like when my dentist goes in my mouth and hurts me. Like, nurses were on top. I can understand why people love and appreciate nurses. But all these, like, these other careers, and I'm thinking, like, I should just quit. I should just resign. 62% of Quebecers think that religion is harmful. And people appreciate car mechanics and dentists more than they do pastors. Maybe I should just quit. And I think Elijah in some way was feeling that. God, nobody cares. Israel doesn't care. Israel's not listening. Israel's turned their ear away from you. It's downhill. He's feeling irrelevant and ineffective. And in this moment, in verse 11 and 13, as the story continues, we can read what happens. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I'm sure, keep that up there, I'm sure at that moment, Elijah's thinking like, hey, that's what happened with Moses. Maybe I'm going to catch some of God's glory. And, and this, is, this is what happens next. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. Now, just stop for a second. I mean, here's Elijah waiting. God, you're here. You even told me to now go to the the mouth of the mountain and wait. And this earthquake comes. It's like, God, you're going to speak through this powerful earthquake. God, you're going to speak through this incredible wind. God, you're going to speak through this fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mountain of the cave. What a 
What an amazing moment in this story. Elijah's longing to hear God and this, these big kind of loud expressions happen and he's probably wondering, God, you're probably in this. God, you're probably in that. And then this gentle whisper comes. I love this because this is the unpredictable factor of God. We often want God to speak and work on our terms and to do what we like. You know, 1 Kings 18, just a chapter before, big loud response from God. Here's Elijah, the only prophet among all these false prophets, sets up this sacrifice and wants to, to burn it. He throws water upon water upon this just to prove that when God shows up, he's going he's gonna to dry this all up. And he prays one prayer after the false prophets for hours try and call on their gods. And God shows up, literally just dries up everything. And he comes off of that. That's how God worked in that moment, just a chapter before. And here's the unpredictability of God, that God doesn't always respond the way we would like him to speak. It would be cool if he came through wind, fire, and earthquake. It would be cool if he always came through big signs and big noises and and big experiences. See, too often I I think we want God to only speak in ways that we appreciate it. Big, fast, often, and consistent. Right? God, if you, could, if you could always speak big, if you could speak often, if you could be very clear and, uh, and um, fast, and if you could be predictable, because I want to know exactly how you're going to speak next. Wouldn't it, would you admit that? I'd admit that. I'd be cool with that. I'd be cool if every Monday I knew God was going to speak to me in a certain way, and I just knew that I showed up, that as soon as I sat down and opened up my journal or my Bible, that I knew that at, I don't know, 7.05, God was going to tell me something for the week. Wouldn't that be awesome? How many of you would always show up? You would. You'd be like, hey, if God's going to deliver, I'm going to show up. But God's often unpredictable that way. My dad um, was a pastor for several years. He was involved in business up until his early 40s. And then God called him into full-time ministry. And within a couple of years, he moved to Montreal and he served at a church here in Montreal for 13 years. And some cool things happened. It was specifically focused on reaching um, Italians in the center of the city and, and also English-speaking people in other cultures as well, but, as well. But the history was that. And he started like a radio program, a TV program. He, he saw people come to faith. He, he would go to hospital visits and, and people in the, in the elevator would stop him and say, can you tell me more about what you know, I heard on TV the other night or on the radio? God was at work. Sometimes there, you know, people, people would be prayed for and somebody would be healed. Not every time, but there'd be things taking place. Sometimes he experienced God like directly direct him in a certain way and he responded and he saw God act. He's like, thank you God for providing, for speaking with clarity. And there was a season, like 10 or 13 years that it, it wasn't without difficulty, but it seemed as I, as I talked to him years later, how God was really evident, really loudly present in that season. And then he moved back to Toronto to serve at a church that he grew up in, he felt the Lord nudging him. Even the call to Montreal and Toronto was different. The call to Montreal was, was so strong, was so specific, uh, was, was fraught with tears. And the call back to Toronto was, are you sure? What do you think? And then third, second time, third time, is like, I think I need to listen to this move. And he moved back to Toronto. Talking to my dad 10 years later, he said, 10 years after he moved back to Toronto, He would sit and tell us, he says, you know, sometimes in Montreal, 
I would feel God tell me, go to this house, and I'd go, and something really cool would happen. But I'd be in Toronto, and I never heard anything like that. Sometimes I prayed, you know, it's like, let's pray for this thing to happen, and something great would happen. And here in Toronto, you're praying, it's like, man, nothing's happening. Or, you know, like we, 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 we set up an environment, an event, and people come and are celebrative and they want to, you know, come and draw close to Jesus. And in this area, it just seems so slow. It just seems so hard. And it's like this 10 years in Montreal, if he would have based all his experience with the Lord in that, he'd be expecting God to speak in the exact same way. And in, back in Toronto for 10 years, it was... It was tiring, hard, slow work. But God did some good things, but it was always felt subversive. Some, yeah, just under the radar, slow, tiring. The two different ways that God seemed to have worked. It's unpredictable. And here's Elijah. After the earthquake and the fire and the wind, then this gentle whisper comes. In fact, one Old Testament scholar, John Golden, they says, you should actually call it, a, call it a low murmur. He specifically says it's more elusive than a small voice. It's actually not even a gentle whisper. This sound, this whatever that Elijah heard in that moment was, was so soft and so subtle. Just a low murmur. And... The story continues and says, Elijah heard it. He heard in that moment that God was present. He heard in that moment that God was up to something. And he gets down at the cave of the mountain. He covers his face. I could just imagine he's thinking like, this is a sacred moment. And he, he just comes down, just kind of covers his face with his cloak and just says, I need, to, I need to be so attentive in this moment right now. God's going to speak in this moment, in this super, more than quiet type of moment. And he, he gets himself ready. He's so intentionally, so focused. He's like, I need to hear God in this moment. He could miss that low murmur. He could miss that sound that was lighter than a gentle whisper. God interestingly throws him a curveball and asks him a question again. Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah's probably like, oh God, not again. Seriously, like why are you asking me that? And he says the same answer. You know what's happened. Everything's not great. But then in verse 15 to 17, God speaks. He says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Saphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. I mean, from a gentle whisper to like, wow, okay, what does all this mean? I got to unpack this. And it's, it's amazing because right in this moment, God speaks. And I love, you know, we're, we're going to, I want to explain to you a little bit what that means in this context, but God does something so beautiful with Elijah. He, first of all, he reassures him. He recommissions him and he reminds him. In that moment, he reassures him that he is still a God who speaks and that the pursuit of listening is worth it. Even, even in just the undercurrent of noise, it's worth it to pursue listening because God is still a God who speaks. Elijah reaffirms him of that. But then Elijah, 
he, he's, re, he's recommissioned. And, you know, for us, we read those titles like Hazel, king of Aram, and anoint Jehu, king over Israel, Elisha, not Elijah. Like, we're looking at that, and that just doesn't make so much sense to us. And I want you just to pause for a second. Just put yourself back in their shoes. Israel is a, is a country, is a nation that is led by kings, but God is their main influencer, and God has worked with them for so long. But here in this moment, look at this. When you get there, he says, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Aram has nothing to do with Israel. Jehu needs to be anointed king of Israel for this new leadership to come in. I love what God does in this moment. He, he not only just you know, reassures Elijah, but he says, I'm recommissioning you. I am going to do a work that's even beyond Israel. I'm going to work in Israel and have this new king in place, and that's really cool, but we're going to, we're going to think beyond Elijah. We're going to think beyond Israel. I want you to go and anoint this other king in Aram because I'm going to work and orchestrate under these other circumstances beyond Israel. And I love that because in this moment, as God speaks, Elijah gets this bigger vision of the world. And then if you just go down to the next little phrase, he says this, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. In other words, to the false god. So God's telling Elijah, Elijah, he's reminding him, he says, you're not alone. You're not the only one left. There's 7,000 people who love me and are ready to follow me and are ready to work with me. You're not alone. That's the reminder. You're not alone. And I love in that moment what happens with Elijah. He hears from God. He's reassured. He's, he's reminded and he's recommissioned. That has implications for us, I think, in our day and age. How often do we need to be reassured? God is still a God who speaks. God is still a God who's at work. How often do we need to be reassured that God might speak in unpredictable ways and not speak to us in the exact same way that he did before, not get our attention in the exact same way that he did before, not bear fruit maybe in the exact same way that he did before? Maybe God wants to do something new and fresh, but he's reassuring us and saying, I still speak, I still lead. Maybe he's, he's recommissioning us because sometimes we're so focused on our little circle and our little part of the world and our part of the city as a church and God's saying, hey, I'm, I'm anointing work outside of you. Be a part of that. Like our campaign this month, I'm at work in Central Asia. I'm at work in Turkey. I'm at work in these refugee camps. Go and be a part of that. Fuel that. Fund that. Bless that. Invest. I love how Elijah is told to, to anoint another Elijah with an S-H, not a J. It says, this person will succeed you. Here's this reminder for us. We need to pour into the next generation. We need to pour into new leaders. We need to pour into youth and kids and young adults because, because God is doing something continuous. And he's like, it's not just about you. So as we, as we wrap this up, I want us just to consider our pursuit of listening. We know listening is important. We know attentiveness is so vital. But we have a call to pursue listening, to grow in attentiveness. Yes, to the people around us, to the culture around us, but to the God of the universe who longs to intersect our hearts and our lives. And let me just tell you something, and I wrote this on the screen because I wanted us to get it. Attentiveness is not always a quiet life, but a discerning life. Attentiveness does not mean that every moment is a quiet stream in your life. 
Attentiveness does not mean that the only way you're going to be able to listen and discern what's going around you is if it's completely quiet and perfect and just the way you like it. Like, I, I honestly, I do hear God better on my deck. I do. I love my deck. I love sitting there, and especially when it's nice weather and it's early in the morning and the birds are chirping and it's a light breeze. And I'm telling you, for some reason, yes, I can. But God's call to attentiveness is not only that I can hear him on the deck, but that I can hear him on the street corner and I can hear him in a difficult situation and I can hear him in the middle of chaos or I can hear him in a relational conflict or I can hear him in a war zone. God wants God's call for us to attentiveness is discernment. To be able to discern what he's doing and to partner with that. Man, this summer, our opportunity for renewal and relationships and recommissioned into our families and neighborhoods, if some of us will listen, we won't miss the opportunities. If we will listen, we will not miss the opportunities. So I'm going to just close by challenging you to pursue listening the way Elijah did. Remember, intentional turns into natural. Now, there's no Mount Horeb for you to go to. And my deck is not some sacred place in DDO. Trust me, I'm pretty sure. And your corner in your backyard or the lovely rock that you love to sit on on Lac St. Louis is not the only place that God is at work. But Elijah did teach us something. He pursued a place and time. He said, I'm going to go to Mount Horeb. I'm going to be with God. And I just want to encourage you, if you want to pursue listening, as a practice, pursue a time and place. Pick a time in the week. Pick a place and be intentional about it and say, I will pursue listening. Not because that place is, has any uh, more spiritual percentage than this place over here. But because it's your intention, it's your decision to say, I will go and meet with God. I will choose a time and a place And so maybe this summer, your practice of this is committing to this time and place. A few times in the week where you say, this is going to be my time. This is going to be my place. I'm going to open up the scriptures. I'm going to listen to the Lord. I'm going to journal. I'm going to put on maybe some worship music. I'm going to pause. I'm going to practice silence. I'm going to invite Jesus to still me. And I'm going to do this because I I don't want to miss anything that God has in store for me. So this summer, you're going to have a bunch of practices, a bunch of things you do. Some of you are going to go to the local pool. Some of you are going to vacation. Some of you are going to bike ride. Some of you are going to be working. Some of you are going to, whatever you're doing, would you make this a summer practice? The pursuit of a time and a place with God. And then as a result, would you pay attention? Because I, I, I believe God's going to prompt you in some way. And paying attention means responding and acting. You know, Elijah He tells God, right, when God says, hey, what are you doing here? Did you notice Elijah's words? It was all about everything he did. God, I did that. I did that. I'm involved in this. I'm doing that. What's happening? Elijah was so preoccupied with what he was doing, he forgot to step back and say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I want to join what you're doing. Paying attention is not just doing for God. It's stepping back and saying, Lord, what are you doing? Help me to listen and pay attention so I can see what you're doing. And then I can act. I can respond. When he paid attention, he discovered God was already at work in Israel and beyond Israel, in him and beyond him. And I think when we begin to do that, our summer response is we're attentive 
and we act. What would happen if God prompts you to grow in some area of your relationships and you don't just put it aside and you're like, I'm going to act on that. What if he nudges you towards a generous act, um, you know, either regularly or, 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 or sacrificially and you're like, I'm not just going to, I'm not, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to just act. What if he, he prompts you about some part of your behavior and you're like, I'm going to address that. What if he prompts you with, about a neighbor and you say, you know what, I'm just going to walk across the street. I'm not going to let that thought, that prompting, that, that direction from the Lord just stay there. I, you know what, he put my neighbor's name in my mind. I'm going to just walk across the street. Puts a ministry in your mind, you serve. He puts Sabbath as a priority in your mind. Stop and practice Sabbath. If he's asking you to pay attention to your spouse, just plan a date. Just do it. <laughs> it's attentiveness and action. It's the pursuit of listening and it's paying attention and acting. And I can't imagine our summers, uh, I can't imagine that our summers would go by without some kind of newness and freshness and impact that we can't even imagine yet because God's already at work. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, we just come to the close of this gathering and we're just, we're just grateful, God, for, for who you are, for what you're doing, for how you reminded, reassured, recommissioned Elijah. God, that story is not just 1,500 years old. It's, it's, it's the fresh call in our, on our lives to pursue listening, listening to you, to discern what you're doing so we can jump in. Help us, God, over this next summer season. Of course, for our lives, Lord, but we, right now we just give you this season. We just give you the next few months. We long to grow in our attentiveness. And we know, it's, we know we're not going to find the most perfect environment. And so we don't, we don't even want to pretend to make that a requirement. But we do long for discernment. We do long to discern your voice. So God... We will pursue you. We will, we will pursue a time and a place, and we will be diligent to meet with you, God. And we trust that however you wish, slow, fast, loud, soft, a time of waiting or a time of quickness, we don't want to predict how you will respond, but we trust that you will help us discern what you are doing in and around us. And then, God, give us the courage and the grace and the faith to simply say, Yes. May we be that kind of church as well. In your name we pray. Amen.